This is the Wealth and Law Podcast, although ordinarily this is a podcast about all sorts of topics under the sun that relates to wealth and how it intersects with the law. In this month of July 2022, we're focusing on basic estate planning. This is the estate planning boot camp series. So welcome if that's what you were intending to find, and if not, welcome anyways, and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. I am Brent Nelson, and we are continuing our estate planning boot camp series. One of the most important documents in any properly done estate plan is a healthcare power of attorney. Sometimes they're called healthcare proxies or healthcare directives. Doesn't really matter what you call it, but it's a power of attorney that relates to healthcare. And to help me describe what these things are, my friend Emily Kyle is here. Thank you, Emily. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited about this topic. Yeah, it's always a pleasure, and it's a good one. Uh, an over overlooked one, and I always try to convince people it's literally the most important document in uh, the estate plan because it's the one that they're going to actually use. The other ones basically are geared towards death. When they're dead, they won't care, but this one, they'll really care. Yeah, I feel the same way. I tell people all the time, your estate plan is mostly about taking care of you when you're alive and making sure we have the right people to do that. Mm-hmm. And like you said, once you're gone, we're going to hope your stuff where, went where you wanted it to go. But I don't have to worry about you anymore. Yeah, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Until until clients start haunting us, then we won't worry. <laughs> we'll find out someday. We'll, we'll we'll wake up in the morning. We'll be surrounded by people who are haunting us. But until that happens, uh, it's all about lifetime. So why don't you? Uh, for people who maybe aren't as familiar with these kinds of documents, describe what they are exactly. Sure. So I think also people think about it in sort of two different ways. So a healthcare mm-hmm. power of attorney or a healthcare proxy, as you said, is really about making all kinds of healthcare decisions. And lots of people think about it only in terms of end of life decisions, which we often think of more as like a living will. Like if I'm if I'm in a coma, are you going to take me off the ventilator? Are you going to give me food and fluid intravenously? But your healthcare power of attorney is about all kinds of decisions. You could be in a car accident and somebody needs to decide about what treatment are we going to do. You could have Alzheimer's and you get strep throat and somebody's got to say that it's okay to give you antibiotics. So it's not always about, and it's honestly, most commonly not about just that end of life choice, but it's about all the decisions that get made when you are incapacitated and can't make those choices all the way until you pass away. And I think one of the other things that's unique to Arizona about a healthcare power of attorney is it's also your opportunity to say whether you want to be buried or cremated. Because if you don't express what you want and there is dissension in the family, then the mortuary is keeping you on ice until a decision is made or you get a court order. Because if one kid says they think you wanted to be cremated and the other kid says, no way did mom ever want to be cremated, the mortuary is not cremating because they can't put you back together again and put you in a casket and bury you. So it's a great opportunity to alleviate that kind of dissension in the family to say, my healthcare agent has the ability to make the decision, and this is the decision I want made. Because our statute, it's the only authority post-death that that healthcare agent has the authority to make. So it's part of the reason I think it's such an important document. Absolutely critical. As I say, I I do try to impress upon people that it is the most important. Yeah, we do all these trusts. We might be doing all this fancy tax stuff that doesn't make any sense to anybody. But the healthcare stuff really is what matters. 
You can have all the money in the world, but if your health care uh, power of attorney and who, who's making those decisions and, and to your point, what happens when you die with your funeral arrangements, if that stuff isn't right, who cares how much money you have? You're going to be miserable and things aren't going to going to work properly for you personally on the most individual personal level possible. You mentioned a couple of things I want to draw out that I think were really important. So one, you mentioned um, this idea of it's it's an adult who's naming another adult to make healthcare decisions for them. It can be as broad as humanly possible, any healthcare decision, including terminating your life. And so that means you need to think carefully about the people that you're naming. Definitely. And when I meet with people and they say, well, this is my oldest child, so they should always be in all the positions of authority first. And then this is my second child and this is my third child. And we're just going to name them in order of age. And then when I say, well, what are the professions of those people? And, you know, they tell me that their youngest child is is a nurse and their oldest child likes to be hiking out in the wilderness on a regular basis. That doesn't seem like the perfect choice then, right? Because we need a person who's going to be here. We need a person who is going to be able to ask the doctor and the medical professional questions, maybe get a second opinion, maybe take you to a different facility, maybe take you out even if it's against medical advice. So we need a person who is present and a person who is not intimidated by medical professionals as best as possible. And also you want to think about um, the person you're putting in charge that I would always say you want the rest of your family to know that. So whatever they're going to say about, well, but Johnny's not the right person for A, B, or C reason, or I have hurt feelings that you didn't pick me, let's get it all out while you're alive. I don't want you in the hospital bed unconscious and your kids are screaming at each other. That is not peaceful. That is not, does not lead to good health. No, definitely not. Yeah. So you want to pick the right people and you want to make sure that those people understand that they've been chosen. And that way you can smooth any ruffled feathers while you still have the ability to do it. Don't put your head in the sand and just say, oh, they'll just work it out later. They're going right. to work it out much less later without you. Yeah, that, that's so true. The other the other thing that I get asked a lot on, on those uh, lines is, what about two people or three people together? What are your thoughts on the wisdom or not of that kind of arrangement? I am not in favor of joint decision-making. Um, nobody agrees on everything all the time. It just doesn't happen. Um, Look at all the relationships you have in life. There are things you just don't agree with, even with your spouse or your closest friend. And these are hard decisions. Um, The other part of it is think how hard it would be for the medical professional to get a call from one kid and then have to explain everything again to the second kid. And maybe even if you've said they can act independently, do we listen to the person who made the first decision or do we have to listen to both people and then pick which decision we like the best? Um, I just, you know, you have one quarterback on a football team and there's a reason for it, right? We need somebody who's got the plays. And so it's the same sort of thing. We need the one person who gathers all the information. They can discuss it with all their siblings. You can say in your document, I hope, but don't direct that you're going to have a discussion with the other these other people. Um, but we really need one person who's gathering information, processing all the information and in charge of making the decisions to move forward. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. It's it's one of those areas where more voices is not better. So, yes, 
to your point, the kids, if you're naming kids, they should be talking to each other, but there really needs to be one point person. These are decisions that may need to be made very quickly, and there's not going to be time to get a consensus just because of the speed of healthcare decisions and the nature of what they are. You you mentioned a couple of other things. So the first one was this this concept of a living will. So how does that, first of all, what it what is it for people who might not be clear on, because it has the word will in it, I think it's so confusing. It but is then very how, confusing. It's so, it's so bad. And then, and then how does that work together with this healthcare power of attorney? Because they sort of seem like they overlap one another. Yeah, great question. And I agree with you. I wish it wasn't called a living will. We have so many words in the English language. You'd think that you could come up with something Just one. Else. Yeah, any other one. <laughs> So um, I think of the living will as that end of life choice. Do you want food and fluid? Do you want to be on a ventilator? Do you want what kind of heroic measures do you want and how specific do you want to be? So oftentimes, again, broader is better to say my healthcare agent and my attending physician together will make a decision as to whether or not they believe that I will recover to a quality of life that I would have wanted. And then they can make that choice. I have some people who say, you know, I want to be kept alive for 30 days so all the family can make it into town before a decision's made. And I, you know, whatever your beliefs are and how you want it set up is fine. But sometimes 30 days isn't enough to make a decision. And sometimes we know in 24 hours what's going to happen. And so I think giving the flexibility, if you've chosen the right person, is the right thing to do because that person could say, yeah, keep keep this person alive. I need to get my sister in from North Dakota um, or whatever the circumstances are and, and just have a, a kind of a broad, a broad document. By the same token, if you have a strong belief that you want intravenous food and fluid until your body says no more, then that's what the document should say. Let's be clear about it if you have a strong opinion one way or the other. Um, if you have some religious beliefs, you know, I, I think those should be in a living will and in a healthcare power of attorney. If you want a, a religious figure to come in at the end of life and perform whatever services or hear psalms or want certain music by your bedside, that's your opportunity to put forth that information and, and think how nice that would be for the people that are left behind if those are important things to you, that they knew exactly what you wanted and they could fulfill that for you. That's the last gift they can give you. So be clear when you want to be, but try not to be specific about things that we just can't predict. Yeah, Is that helpful? I, very helpful. I, and again, I think that's just excellent, excellent insight. The the. Healthcare power of attorney being so broad that living will sort of brings into focus a very specific set of circumstances where, to your point, if you want to be quite particular about what should happen and what decisions should be made under those circumstances or put some sort of guidelines on what should be made in those circumstances, which are end of life circumstances, that's your opportunity to do it. Absent the living will, I think a lot of people forget that the person they named in their healthcare power of attorney, they have all of that authority. So they're going to make all those decisions with or without your guidance. But this is your opportunity in the living will to give them that guidance. And it's tremendously helpful. Yeah. And I think, you know, we had some cases in the in the far past that brought to, to the fore people thinking about how much treatment would I want at the end of life? And for better or worse, we haven't had those in a while. And so I mm -hmm. think also people, it sort of fades from memory. Um, I used to say, you know, I, I don't, I don't, if I'm, if I'm in the bed unconscious, somebody better do my hair and my makeup before I end up on the front page of the paper or in the news, right? 
that's not the case that I want brought before the Supreme Court for myself. So this is your opportunity to make sure that you've said what you wanted. And, you know, we do have the people in the black robe who sit on the top of the bench in the courthouses. So if there's disagreement, your document is the best evidence for the court to understand what you wanted when you could speak for yourself. So if you have a family member or a friend who is going to cause problems later, having those documents gives the court the opportunity to say, oh, well, but they said this and they appointed this person to make those choices. So it's also even when you have uh, families who maybe not don't get along very well, it also gives us really great evidence to to follow what your wishes were. Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, from my perspective, it's one of the kindest things that you can do for the person that you're naming in the document, because very likely you're naming somebody who's close to you. And so for them, being in the position of making those decisions for you is going to possibly be a bit traumatic and difficult emotionally. So if you can give them the instructions that will guide them so they don't have to make every single one of those decisions. It's just being merciful um, and and empathetic to the kind thing that they're going to be doing for you when you're not able to do it for yourself. There was one other thing that you mentioned that I think was really uh, a, a key point that people, they ask me about it, and oftentimes I think they forget about it, and that is that you were mentioning what Arizona allows very particular things that Arizona allows. But every state is a little bit different. You know, we, we live in this patchwork of rules. And so people need to be mindful that just because, say, they lived one place and did a health care power of attorney there, if they move to a new state, that their health care power of attorney, although it should work in the new state, it's not going to look like the new state's health care power of attorney. And they probably need to do new documents once they've moved. Yeah, as you know, um, your state planning documents should be valid in all the states as long as they were validly executed wherever it is that you signed them. But because we do have some things in Arizona, like the ability to pick what happens to your remains after you've passed away. We also have a mental health statute that may be one of your other podcasts in case you needed inpatient psychiatric treatment that's very unique to Arizona. And so for sure, somebody's going to want to get those looked at by a local attorney and make sure that they have all the bells and whistles that are needed. I did also want to say, you know, we talk a lot about the kids making decisions and remember that it's your opportunity to pick. It doesn't have to be the kids. It doesn't have to be your spouse. It doesn't have to be your grandkids or your niece or your nephew. You know, maybe your best friend is the right person to make those choices. Um, And super kind if you can tell the person you're the one that's picked and make sure they're okay with being in that role. So, you know, be thoughtful about it. It seems like a super straightforward, simple document, but as you've said, it's it's probably the most important one. So give it some thought before you just put pen to paper. Yep, absolutely. Well, we'll leave it there. Emily, thank you so much. That was really helpful. And it's always a pleasure to catch up with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on today. I appreciate it. Hey, listeners. Thanks again for joining me on the podcast. It's fun to do it for you. If you're enjoying it, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to my blog at wealthandlaw.com. And follow me on social media at Wealth and Law. I'll see you there.